Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Colby, and welcome to Switch It Up's first ever docu-series, The Final Fantasy VII Remake Deep Dive. That is right, it is finally happening. As stated in the beginning, I am one half of the Switch It Up podcast, Colby, and this is the first ever docu-series type project for the Switch It Up podcast. It's just going to be me on this endeavor, as if you listen to the show, and as you know, I am the one who's very much engrossed in the Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy VII Remake world. So this is my passion project for the show, if you will. This is going to be all me going forward, and I am very nervous, but I'm also very excited to get into this. This entire journey is going to be all about peeling back the many, many layers of 7 Remake, how we got here, what exactly happens, what does it all mean, and where do we go from here. This property has a lot of eyeballs and content made on it already. Remake's been out for a couple years now, and if you follow other content creators who cover it, you may have an idea of what exactly is going to happen with not just Remake or what happens with Remake, but what will happen with Rebirth, Crisis Core Reunion, and beyond. However, this is a passion project I've wanted to do for a while now, and I've already taken one swing at uh, that episode is lost to history as it was never <laughs> released. It's fully published, just never made. But I will do everything in my power to make sure this is interesting and unique. And hopefully that starts today with episode zero, one, the pilot, if you will. Not exactly sure what to call this one, but this is the start of it. Before we begin, as always, thank you to you guys tuning in and listening. Hopefully you're able to stick around for this episode and the other ones coming down the pipeline, not just for this, but for Switch It Up as well. I really do appreciate the support. Shout out to my co-host Tyler, of course, for letting me use the platform to do this. He best co-host I can ask for, and a uh, big shout out to all the, uh, my content creator friends. Uh, I'll list all their their podcasts down in the link below. Uh, but today, Rick from Pixel Project Radio released a solo episode where he goes over a defense of Final Fantasy X-2. That's incredible. I just got done listening to that before I started recording this. Definitely check that out. And obviously, Eric over at the Unlockables is doing Guiding Keys, the story of Kingdom Hearts. Episode 1's already out. Episode 2, at the time of recording this, is out tomorrow, Wednesday. So be sure to check out both of those. I really do think it's going to be the next big thing for his claim to fame, if you will. The next big thing in indie gaming podcasting. So definitely, definitely check that out. This definitely pulls inspiration from that. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. Give the proper thanks where they, where they belong. But now that that's all settled, I think we can officially begin the journey here and to set the proper context i do feel necessary to quickly over my experience with the property this entire craze with final fantasy 7 and final Fantasy 7 remake didn't really happen until very recently at the 2020 COVID holiday party hosted by Jeff Keighley when Sephiroth was announced for Smash Ultimate. I remember specifically it was one of the first announcements of the, of the Game Awards and I was texting Tyler back and forth and 
I had no idea who it was, and I was asking who it was, and he said it was Sephiroth, and I was just watching the super cool cinematic introduction scene introducing the character when he, you know, beats Bayonetta and Greninja, he <laughs> pins Mario on his sword, uh, fights Cloud, obviously, Cloud gets the limit break, and right then and there, I was just kind of in on not just Sephiroth, but Japanese, um, Japanese men with long hair who can wield swords, I was just in all the way. And the first time I looked up Remake was the Rad Brad's playthrough on it on YouTube. And he mentioned how it was kind of full circle for him, not just because it was a remake, but when he played the original seven, he was a kid and Remake was his first game since he became a father to, I believe, his newborn daughter at the time back in 2020. So just the idea of this meaning something to a lot of people and it being special to a lot of people just immediately set in. So I watched through his entire playthrough. It's a very enjoyable one, but... You know, it's very base level stuff. Like he's just enjoying the game, going through it. Like, oh, this is this is a, this is tiebacks to original, all that good stuff. So, but I would just I needed more. I was it wasn't enough, and that's why I discovered Maximilian Dude, who I consider to be the godfather of Final Fantasy VII content. On the most recent episode, of switch it up when we do the retrospective top ten list. I call I call myself one of his disciples, and you know, hopefully this can be my claim to fame for his disciple, but discipleship. He knew every detail from the original and just dissected his run through remake like a composer in the zone, just conducting a symphony. It was just like sucking oxygen for me, listening to him talk about remake and what happens and why this correlates to this and what happens and what meets the future. And that was just like my introduction to like, I need to know more and I need to, I need, I need to have this one day in my life. So I was on Wikipedia's, Final Fantasy fandoms, Twitch highlights, all kinds of stuff, just trying to figure out what it meant, and that's when it like hit me like one day I need to I need to play this game and get into it. So flash forward about two months here, February of 2021 is when I buy and play through the original Final Fantasy VII on my Nintendo Switch, which has many games, and this was this was in an effort to will in quotes, remake into my life, I had to go back and learn the basics and learn the source material. So, played the Final Fantasy VII original, loved it, uh, obviously have it ranked very high on the favorite games list, calling back to that episode. Um, hasn't aged super well, but if you wanted to play it in 2020, I think it's more than doable. Definitely some aspects of the culture and dialogue from the late 90s haven't aged well, but thankfully, remake's able to filter those out a little bit. But then I go watch Advent Children, for better or worse. I watch through Max's playthroughs of Dirge and Crisis Core, also for better or worse, and we will get to all those today. Just filling out the puzzle and pieces, if you will, as for what it takes to finally, finally play this. Integrate comes out, PS5 comes out, I decide to wait until I can buy a PS5 to play this game, because it doesn't make any sense at this point to play it on PS4. And I didn't have either of those at the time. November of 2021, when I buy... Well, November 2020, I buy it, Remake Integrate on Black Friday. And no, I did not have a PlayStation 5 at the time. And everyone who knew about it asked me why I did it. Except Tyler. Tyler was the only one who understood. Shout out to him. And that is also when he famously made the claim that I officially put a down payment on it. Which I, I think is the best way to put it. And to this day, I think him being the only one that understands, like, it's the only person I needed to understand. April of this year... I walk into my local GameStop just for fun. My sister's a big fun co-pop girl, so looking to see if I can get any for her. And I walk straight into a PS5 bundle sale happening at the GameStop. 
I immediately turn around, drive home, grab $708 in cash that I've been saving for two years to get this. And I spent every last dime on this PS5. And I played Remake one day later, and the rest is history. Now we're here. So <laughs> that is that's the story. That's that's what happened. I don't regret a single second of it. I would do it again if if I was in the same opportunity and that's just why it means so much to me. I play Remake. Remake's like my second favorite second favorite game ever. Sometimes I think about it being number one, but it's a different conversation. And yeah, this episode's going to be the in-depth breakdown of how we got the Final Fantasy VII Remake, the timetable, if you will. So I think we should just get straight into it. Okay, here we go. The undisputable, inarguable timeline of how we got to Final Fantasy VII Remake. Of course, as you all know, we need to start in roughly sometime in 1973, when three-year-old Tetsuya Nomura, our hero in this story, begins drawing for the first time ever. He is also learning how to do game development by making his own Sugoruko games, which are just Japanese board games. So right from the jump, a young Tetsuya knew exactly what he wanted in life. Jumping down the time a little bit, when uh, our hero is now in middle school, his father apparently comes home and tells him that the era of computers is coming. That is a real quote that I found on the internet. So then he buys a middle school Tetsuya his first ever computer, and it's to be assumed that this is obviously when he learns how to start coding and game developing and all that. So historians will tell you that this is truly when the dawn of video games began, when a young Tetsuya Nomura first was learning how to draw, then eventually learned how to code. Really just monumental stuff here, and I couldn't think of a better place to kick the timeline off. After Tetsuya Nomura's middle school journey, we now go to December 18th, 1987, when the first Final Fantasy ever, Final Fantasy 1, was released for the Famicom. Series creator and the godfather, son, and holy spirit of Final Fantasy, Hironobu Sakaguchi, chose for the series to be a fantasy-style RPG and pulled inspiration from both Zelda and Dragon Quest. Dragon Quest was a Square property at the time. Still is. I'm 99% sure it still is. Uh, fun fact, the name of the game and eventual series, Final Fantasy, got its name based on the fact that it was supposed to be Sakaguchi's final piece of work because since the move to the Famicom, he said he had not been satisfied with anything he'd put out, so this was going to be his swan song. If you will, uh, that would not be the case because Final Fantasy would have lots of success on Nintendo systems, uh, starting with the NES or the Famicom. Final Fantasy 1 and 3 have both crossed 1 million units sold and rank 50th and 52nd for all-time game sales on the console, respectively. And on the Super Nintendo, Final Fantasy saw stock rising as Final Fantasies 5 and 6, both of which very acclaimed and highly lauded games in the series and just in gaming in general, each crossed 2.5 million units sold. 6 ranks number 11 for sales, and... Final, Fan- or Final Fantasy V ranks 17th. Needless to say, stock is at an all-time high as we are heading into the seventh installment of the series. Now we are in 1996, where the divorce of the decade happens, and highly known event happens in gaming. Squaresoft and Nintendo split. Shout out to Leslie Marie Presley and Michael Jackson, because they were voted second by the viewers. Squaresoft and Nintendo took number one for most popular divorce of 1996. The story of Final Fantasy VII is well known, but you know, for context's sake, we're in the timeline here. We should quickly go over what happened here. Uh, music composer uh, Nobu Uematsu and um, holy figure Hironobu Sakaguchi had big plans for Seven, and just these had the plans of sh- completely changing the gaming landscape. 
that would be completely unique and something people have never seen in gaming before at the time. However, what they had in mind could not be achieved on the cartridges that Nintendo used for their games because it wasn't powerful enough. So they decide to cut bait and jump ship for the brand new Sony and PlayStation. And my God, I mean, you see, you got to get some good breaks to be successful in life. I mean, I couldn't have, can't imagine a better break for Sony and PlayStation right at the dawn of their beginning. Uh, Squaresoft comes to you and is like, hey, uh, we'd like to make games for your console. And uh, then and there, uh, the partnership was created and has been ever so lively ever since. Since these events, though, um, Square and Nintendo have kind of repaired their relationship. They, they, I'd say they're back on mutual footing. Although at the time, Nintendo reportedly told Squaresoft to never come back. So bridges were burned here in, in 1996. Not just Leslie Marie Presley and Michael Jackson, but Squaresoft and Nintendo as well. A short time later, January 31st, 1997, uh, we all know what happens here. Final Fantasy VII is released and instantly becomes a smash hit and landmark moment in video games. Uh, I have, For all the games on the timeline, I do have the synopsis for them, so I'll read the synopsis here. The game's story follows Cloud Strife, a mercenary who joins an eco-terrorist organization to stop a world-controlling megacorporation from using the planet's life essence as an energy source. Events send Cloud and his allies in the pursuit of Sephiroth, a former member of the corporation who seeks to destroy the planet. Never before had a video game been as marketed or as hyped as Seven was. Graphics, cinematics, narrative, music, etc. was a brand new look into gaming and an introduction to games as storytelling, really. It's the first time that people looked at a video game and been like, oh, they can tell meaningful and impactful stories. Another interesting and sometimes overlooked aspect about Seven is its setting and environment. Final Fantasy's prior pulled heavy from medieval and traditional renaissance themes, I would say. This was definitely not the case with 7, and had a way more futuristic tone and had more modern day themes. What gamers were looking at was something they had never ever seen before with Final Fantasy 7. By 1999, the game had sold roughly 7.25 million copies and outsold Final Fantasy's 4, 5, 6, and Chrono Trigger all combined. As of today, it is the second highest selling game on the PlayStation sitting at just over 10 million copies, and in total the game has sold over 13 million copies, copies excuse me, which is just edged out by the combined sales of Final Fantasy VIII and IX. The game has grossed $777 million worldwide, and the series itself has grown over well has grown well past $1 billion, and in 2022, I think it's safe to say that Final Fantasy VII is its own thing, and necessarily separate from all the other Final Fantasies, more recognizable by itself than with Final Fantasy per se. As of 2021, IGN has it as the 98th best game of all time. A 2022 list from Popular Mechanics ranks it fourth. Metacritic has it scored at a 92 and a must play, which puts it at 260th all time for that list, so on and so forth. Uh, I am here to confirm that the game is pretty good. 10 out of 10s, five star reviews and game of the year awards and more. The gamble was well worth it for Squaresoft, who would soon become Square Enix after the merger with Enix after Kingdom Hearts is released in 2002. So, a lot happening, very successful. What's next though? Like, this can't be it for Final Fantasy VII. There has to be more. People were wondering, devs were wondering, everyone was asking questions, and we're gonna stay in 2002 to get some answers. 2002, our first, sometime 2002, our first ever piece of Final Fantasy VII 
content, post FF7 content, begins development with the making of Before Crisis Final Fantasy VII. This is also when the first ever canonical timeline for the world of Final Fantasy VII is created, citing it would benefit from one to assist with the future compilation, which we will talk all about compilation in this timeline. Before Crisis was a, was a mobile RPG and always intended to be one as it was originally conceived by none other than our young hero from earlier in the timeline, Tetsuya Nomura. Before Crisis will also become the first ever RPG to be made for the NTT Docomo's FOMA mobile service, which, quickly on that, basically NTT Docomo is your is your T-Mobile, Verizon, AT&T, all that. It's just Japanese version of it. And FOMA, which is Freedom Multimedia Access, was the world's first ever 3G service. Not sure what the idea of what the idea was for creating a mobile game in 2002, but you know, I guess I can see the vision. They're innovators in that way. Uh, given that it was their first crack at a mobile game, uh, development had some up and ups and downs, but nonetheless, before Crisis was in development, and our first ever piece of post Final Fantasy VII media was was in, was in progression. March twenty eighth, two thousand two. Lots of stuff happened two thousand two. Um, this is a pretty big day, and I'm sure if Eric's listening, he already knows what I'm about to say. But this is when Kingdom Hearts actually releases. Now, you're probably wondering, why is this important for the Final Fantasy VII Remake timeline? Well, this is going to come back much later, and not just this episode, but the series as well. This is when the demon of, I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want, spawned within Tetsuya Nomura. That is when that beast was created, and trust me, this is going to play a big factor in Seven Remake and... This, to his credit, this game does feature Final Fantasy VII characters, not just seven, but I think characters from eight and nine as well, and is the birth of Sephiroth as a secret boss fight in video games. So a lot of good did come from this, but March 20, 2002 is when he woke up and it was demon time, and it's been demon time ever since for Mr. Nomura. Sometime in early 2003, Final Fantasy VII fans rejoice as the compilation of Final Fantasy VII is officially announced and basically an independent meta series that takes place in the world of seven and it will consist of films games short stories and much other forms of media that same announcement also reveals final fantasy 7 advent children a movie set to take place two years after the events of the main game kazushigi nojima another big character in in the story and development of this originally had a 20 minute short story about cloud tifa and quote unquote the kids which with hindsight we can assume about Marlene and Denzel. Denzel being a brand new character to the Final Fantasy VII world will be introduced in compilation. With the help from Visual Works and Nomura, again, being on Demon Time, uh, that script got times fived, and it became a 100-minute script and just a full movie. Uh, the film had many issues with character design, positioning, setting, and more. It's actually the reason Sephiroth's not in the movie a whole lot, because they had a lot of trouble with his character design and like, setting him up and making him look right. Uh, obviously because none of the game developers had movie-making experience. They pulled heavily from their seat cinematic experience, but by this time, 1997, 2005, 2003, like, a lot's changed with technology. Nonetheless, Visual Works, which was the company that was had the movie side of things, they steady the ship, and Advent Children gets pinned for 2005 release. Uh, the biggest shock, honestly, when doing all this research, is quickly off, off um, topic here, was just how fast all this stuff got developed and made. The last pieces of compilation media came out in 2009, which was just an extended version of Advent Children, to spoil a little bit. But from 2002 to 2009, six pieces of media for compilation are all developed and released within an eight-year window. So Final Fantasy VII fans are eating, basically. Like, 
I get the main course isn't there with, you know, seven being remastered or modernized, but like, good grief, a lot of sides and dessert. And I mean, realistically, I mean, all that stuff being pumped out that quickly could be a reason why compilation isn't fantastic or great, but regardless, we'll get into that as we continue through the timeline here. In May of 2004, we are at E3 in uh, the beautiful sunny state of California, where this is actually where Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII was announced for the PlayStation Portable. Uh, the play, the they had been wanting to do a Final Fantasy on the PSP for a while, and originally the idea was to just port before Crisis, which hadn't even come out yet at the time. But they decided to make a new story surrounding Zach Fair, who was a minor character in Final Fantasy VII original, but as time went on, has gained much more steam and popularity. And this was enough to motivate them into making a Final Fantasy VII for the PSP, a brand new one from the ground up. Uh, ensuring that this was a tribute, as Katase says, to Final Fantasy VII, he wanted to make sure this game had deep ties to other compilation pieces and feature places the player would recognize, the biggest of which being for this game was Nibelheim and a deeper look at the incident that takes place there. months later on September 24th 2004 the first piece of compilation is released with before crisis for the FOMA mobile service in Japan this is the again like I said the first piece of compilation media projects all of which are have the letter like um, in quotes letter C identification so as you'll see like advent children AC before crisis BC crisis core CC so on and so forth even to now where they have ever crisis EC like we'll just keep going and going Synopsis for this game. Taking place six years before the events of FF7, this mobile RPG focuses on the Turks, a group of covert operatives working for the Shinra Electric Power Company and their fights against both rebel group Avalanche and their corrupt employers. There isn't a lot on this game, like review-wise, but I, went, I found on GameSpot, uh, users gave it an 8.8 out of 10, which I'm not sure how reliable that is, but pretty good. Uh, definitely the most forgotten piece of compilation media for sure and i don't think it's because it's bad it's just because of its exclusivity and the fact that it never was officially released in the west despite they had plans of doing it never happened uh the only way you can play it was through like rom hacks and stuff like that which i'm not even sure honestly how many people in the west have played before crisis in 2006 it was still a very highly popular game in japan despite more pieces of compilation being available by then unfortunately 2008 or 2018, excuse me, in 2018, servers for the game were officially shut down, and now the game is officially considered lost media, which, again, with this, not just, again, specking a little bit here, I think Before Crisis is going to come back with this whole new remake thing, but, you know, don't quote me, but I'm like 99% sure that's going to happen. One final wrap-up on Before Crisis, just a quick clarification. It was released in a series of 25 episodes and some special episodes, the first being 2004, the last being 2006 so although it is the first piece of compilation media to come out it is not the first piece of compilation media that is completed that title goes to advent children just wanted to clear that up before we move on
staying in September of 2004. Another big, another big year here. Uh, Dirge of Cerberus Final Fantasy VII was announced in Japan and slated for a 2005 release. Vincent Valentine who shows as the main protagonist because of how little his background was explored in Final Fantasy VII. He's one of two optional characters along with Yuffie. And, and just his story is, you know, if you go out of your way, you can find some, some stuff on him. But not a lot of people at the time knew about Vincent Valentine's origins. Yoshinori Katase, not sure if I mentioned him yet. He's another big another big hero along with Tetsuya Nomura, Hironobu Sakaguchi, Kojima, all of them. Uh, he, <laughs> I can't even get this next part out. He loved first-person shooters and wanted this to be a more action-y style game. So that's what we got. We got a shooter, uh, an action-style shooter Final Fantasy game, which right away, Dirge of Cerberus, a little sketch, very sketch. To say this game was in development hell is a fair statement, a statement that's overused a lot, but this was hell. Um, went through many major overhauls. Betas were postponed. By the time the first beta was supposed to be released, only 60% of the game was finished. No clips were shown at E3 after our hero Tetsuya Nomura said there would be. Just think of all the worst news you could hear for a video game. That's what happened with Dirge. So right away, you're probably getting the sense that this game kind of stunk. You would be right, but we are not there yet in the timeline. All we know now is that it's in development and that it's a thing, but I didn't tell you it was bad. You'll have to see that for yourself. Um, another, a major landmark here in the timeline. This has like a star. And like in high school, when you visit, you walk into a history classroom and like you see these timelines and just like there's that star on the timeline. This is that, like this moment right here. Uh, we're in 2005. We're, on May, we're at May 16th, 2005 to be exact. Uh, technology was rapidly like exponentially increasing in power and just getting better at a very rapid rate. And uh, this is really when the first, you know, the first dogs were barking for a Final Fantasy VII remaster or remake of some sort. And Square threw everyone a bone with a tech demo on the PS3 of the opening scene of Final Fantasy VII. Obviously, the famous scene of the stars. You heard the music in the beginning. The stars panning over to Aerith, walking into the hallway, zooming out, see the big... City of Midgard, the title card, Cloudrunners off the train, the whole thing. The P- modernized people were seeing it, people were loving it. They were gnawing on that bone because speculation immediately begins that Final Fantasy VII Remaster Remake would be a launch title for the PlayStation Three, but that was obviously not the case. The demo was made by the team that would develop FF Thirteen, and uh, honestly, in the end, this this tech demo did a lot more harm than good. Fans were not happy, obviously, that they weren't getting Final Fantasy VII for the PS3. Um, Final Fantasy XIII was delayed due to half the team working on the tech demo. Just your entire roster got cut in half one day. And initially planned for the PS2, development completely shifted to the PS3 because production wouldn't get done fast enough. Dude, probably because half the roster got cut out. Not saying that was the thing here, but can easily imply that. Um, in turn, and I actually learned this from Eric and Guiding Keys, and I looked more into it for this, but this actually ended up causing a shift in power at Square Enix because people ended up losing jobs. Like there wouldn't be a remaster or remake, just all the negative vibes, really. And I, in 2014, Katase said this was definitely the right thing to do at the time. I, I, I would hope he would not hope, but I would think he'd want to walk that statement back a little bit. But regardless, the PS3 tech demo is still something that is talked about today when it comes to Final Fantasy VII Remake, so right here is kind of like our big, this might be happening. And this is only eight years, 
after F. I get the technology was different, but eight years after FF Seven comes out, there's been you know a lot of stuff come out since then about a lot of stuff coming down the pipeline. Some stuff has been released about FF Seven since then. Just crazy to think about that after eight years after a game, we're already asking for a remaster of it. That's insanity. Shout out Last of Us. September 14th, 2005, another piece of compilation media is released with the release of Advent Children on DVD synopsis. Advent Children takes two years after the events of Final Fantasy VII and focuses on the appearance of a trio that kidnaps children infected with an unexplained disease. Final Fantasy VII hero Cloud Strife, suffering from the same disease, goes to rescue the children. He discovers that the trio plan to resurrect the villain Sephiroth using the remains of the extraterrestrial villain Genova, and he and his compatriots from the game, excuse me, fight to stop them. Advent Children was supposed to be the only extended piece of FF7 media, however, it was decided later that one movie wouldn't be enough to explore the vast world of Final Fantasy VII, also known as making more of these is going to make us a lot of money, which it did, so shout out to them for seeing the vision. Uh, the movie is mixed reviews from critics and fans. I think it has six critic reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, and it's either like a 5 out of 5 or a 1 out of 5, and I think fans for the most part, like they appreciate it and like it, but not the best movie, if we're being honest. Like I've seen it twice now. Uh, the most, The biggest critique, <laughs> funny enough, being... Uh, you must play the game to understand anything in the movie, which I mean, no shit. Like, it's a Final Fantasy VII sequel, kind of, basically. And regardless, the movie had a lot of success. But 2006, the movie had sold over 800,000 copies worldwide. And like I said earlier, someone who's watched both the Japanese dub on accident and the English dub intentionally, uh, the movie's fine. Like, it's plot's a bit wonky. The trio that they talk about in the synopsis... I could care less about them. The fight scenes are awesome. Visuals are pretty cool. 2005, this movie was probably, like, transcendent in some ways just because how good it looked. But, you know, if you're a fan of F7, you'll like the movie. I mean, the interaction with the characters, it's a whole different thing, this movie. But uh, you will enjoy it if you are a fan of FF7. Also, with this, in 2005, with the ultimate edition of... Some say it's the first ever DLC uh, for video games and movies, but... That's neither here nor there. That's not on the timeline. The Ultimate Edition of Advent Children featured a 25-minute short movie called Last Order, Final Fantasy VII, a film that depicts the events of Nibelheim, but notice, starring Zack, I should say. It is noticeably different, though, from the events that actually take place in the game, the biggest being that when Sephiroth impales Cloud on the sword in Nibelheim, uh, Last Order suggests that something with the Mako gives Cloud the power to kind of throw Sephiroth off them, where in the game... And everything else, it's like no, it's his willpower. Like that's what makes us. That's what makes him a hero. Um, regardless, this isn't a part of compilation. It's not officially a part of the Final Fantasy VII universe. But I figured I'd add it because, again, like I said, this some say it's the first ever DLC. Who who knows? January 26, 2006, for better or worse, still, Jerry's still on that, Dirge of Cerberus is released in Japan, and on August 15, 2006, it is released in North America. Synopsis, the game is set three years after the events of the original game, Final Fantasy VII, 
one year after Advent Children, and focuses on one of the game's playable characters, Vincent Valentine. In the story, Vincent is targeted by Deep Ground, a mysterious organization that plans to awaken a creature known as Omega with the ability to destroy the planet. As someone who has secondhand experienced this game, watched Maximilian Dudes play through on it, this game is just... It's a mindfuck. It really is. It's just... you. I don't know how else to describe it. It's incredibly it's something it really is something dirge was received lukewarmly as both critics and fans weren't wild about the game and gameplay specifically the story of the game overall had a positive reaction but still not a super strong and great one and not one that really resonates with people or makes you feel anything as a player honestly i think the story's stupid but that's just me um this will this this will reveal a lot and it was so lackluster that uh, there was a obviously a good window between the Japanese and North American release and European release. Um, after the Japanese release, the North American and European versions got major overhauls, like crazy overhauls. A game, a lot of it gameplay-wise. Like I'm not even sure if Vincent could like shoot and sh- shoot his gun and jump at the same time. The Japanese version, like that, that's one of them, but one of the many. Received major overhauls. Um, September 4th, 2008, Japan gets the European and North American version of the game called Dirge of Cerberus Final Fantasy VII International. Definitely not the end-all, be-all, but Metascore has us at a 57 out of 100. A user score is a 7.9. I'm just reading through some of the reviews here, but definitely some some mixed opinions on here. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm reading one right now. Shooting Star is 99. Uh, gave this game a zero. Um, critics are overall pretty mixed on it, but to sum up, Dirge of Cerberus, like, I'm not sure if the world is better or worse because it exists. Like I said, the jury's still out on it, but it's here. Like, I, I guess it's here, and I'm not sure if it's the most frowned upon piece of FF7 compilation, but it's definitely in the conversation. We get our first real break in the action towards the end of compilation, and we don't pick it back up until uh, September 13th, 2007. Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII was released in Japan, and on March 25th, 2008, it's released on the PSP in North America. Synopsis, the game primarily focuses on Zack Fair, a young member of Soldier who is assigned to look for the missing soldier Genesis Rhapsodos. I think is how you say his name, but he's in in charge of searching for Soldier Genesis. Shout out, Gak. As he searches for Genesis, shout out Gact again, uh, Zach discovers Genesis' origin, Project G, and how it, relate, how it relates to two other high-ranking soldiers, Sephiroth and Angel Hewley. Uh, the game's storyline takes place takes the player from the war between the megacorporation Shinra and the people who tie to the events in Nibelheim, ending just before being at Final Fantasy VII. I butchered that completely, but regardless, we got through it. Comfortably the best piece of compilation media, for sure. Be- best well-received. I think the game scores in the 80s like eights and nines people really like this game uh, a lot of that is attributed to the character of zach who this game instantly puts him of the top tier of final fantasy 7 characters maybe just final fantasy characters people love zach love zach and zach will definitely play a factor in this series but uh parts of this game that had direct ties to final fantasy 7 like the nibelheim incident is done very well again haven't played it going to play it Crisis Core Reunion, baby. Winter 2022, hopefully. 
uh, very well received and applauded the ending of the game, which I'm not, you know, we all know how that is if you listen to this. Hits all the emotional buttons and feels and left you with a good and satisfied feeling, honestly, probably playing that. Uh, the beginning of the game looks a little bit slow. Gameplay looks a little bit, you know, the DM, the DM, the digital mind wave is a little uh, wonky. Hopefully that gets cleaned up, but uh, these characters can sometimes suck. Like Genesis and Angel are not the two best characters. Humanized Sephiroth, like Sephiroth went crazy. That was cool to watch and see play out. He was pretty enjoyable from what I watched, but overall, Crisis Core is definitely a success. Uh, sits at 3.1 million units, which is the 8th best-selling PSP game. I think it's the most expensive PSP game ever made, too. Um, don't quote me, but I'm 95% sure it's accurate. Um, but with this, of course, another bone was tossed to the remaster remake crowd as the very end of FF7, the epilogue, if you will. It's the tech demo, but even more modernized with this different scene of Cloud on the train. Like, I think he says, I think it's the exact line is like, my name is Cloud Strife, Soldier First Class, so... And he's on the train doing the bombing mission but yeah um little did they know that <laughs> we are only what year are we in again uh 2007 uh we are 10 years into a 23 year wait at this point so again the last video game that's released in compilation but i think comfortably the best and best received by both critics and fans alike April 16, 2009, if you remember, we're at the tail end here of Compilation. Uh, Advent Children Complete is released in Japan on June 2nd, 2009, North America, and it is the final version of the film. I believe it was first shown in on some, some like game show thing in 2006, 2007 on Blu-ray. They showed um, like better graphics and such. That's, that's what this movie is. It adds 26 minutes to the movie and is, without a doubt, the best version of the film. Just adds much more context, uh, better dialogue, not better dialogue, but it just makes the movie make a little bit more sense. And with that release, a series of short stories written by a hero, uh, Yoshinori Katase, called On the Way to a Smile was released as a Japanese exclusive at the time. Like, literally handwritten stories, like book, a book. You guys know what books are, hopefully. Uh, the stories cover the events between the events of FF7 and Advent Children, so in that two-year gap from when Meteor Fall is stopped, or Meteor Fall, and the beginning of Advent Children. Features seven short stories, all with the title of episode, then the character name. Uh, stories include, in order, Denzel, Tifa, Barrett, Nanaki, who's Red 13, if you didn't know, Yuffie, episode Shinra, and episode Livestream, White and Black, representing Aerith and Sephiroth, respectively. This adds some context to Advent Children. is a It's a nice collection of stories. The English version came out in 2018. Hopefully I can get my hands on that sometime in the future. And as far as compilation media goes, that's it. Uh, that's the end of Final Fantasy VII compilation. A lot there. A lot happened in a short amount of time. But people were still asking, like, where's Final Fantasy VII? And to answer your question, astute listener... The remake project actually began around when Compilation ended and was intended to be the final piece of Compilation. In December 2009, uh, Tetsuya Nomura hinted at a game highly requested by fans only to say one month later that any remake or remaster of FF7 would not happen for some time. So right away. <laughs> it was, that would be interesting, though. Like Think about it. If the very end of Compilation was 
Final Fantasy VII Remake. Like, that would be it. Like, I, who knows what it would look like at the time? Probably would have just been like a remaster, but our last piece of compilation media comes in the form of another book written by Kazushigi Nojima, released in Japan on December 15, 2011, and officially released in English by Yen Press on January 22, 2019. Final Fantasy VII, The Kids Are Alright, A Turk's Side Story. Uh, has the same subtitle in Japan, but the title of that book was Final Fantasy VII Lateral Biography Turks. A uh, novel primarily centers around Evan Townshead, who is a private detective living in Edge. He is canonically written into Final Fantasy VII, although he never makes an appearance. He lives in Sector Six, and his mom leaves town with a guy, apparently, right as the, the day the Sector Seven play comes down. So, you know, fantastic, but... This um this book also can, this book also has Kyrie and Leslie who get much more fleshed out roles in Final Fantasy VII Remake and contains some of the Turks as well. Uh, Reno Rude, Sang, and Elena, the main four, comes out in two parts. Part one being See Me, Feel Me, and part two being Who Are You. Admittedly, don't know much about it, but had to put it in here to close out the timeline officially for compilation of Final Fantasy VII, which is going to move us more into the development side of things with Final Fantasy VII Remake how exactly it was made, all the rumors leading up to the big E3 release, the E3 release itself, and what took place after until April 10th, 2020. So let's get straight into it. (laughs) Getting to one of my favorite moments on the timeline, March 3rd, 2010. At 3.17 in the morning, uh, Square Enix decides to to, to tweet a little bit. Uh, Very beginning of Twitter, Square Enix decides to hop on tweet a little and they ask fans what are your thoughts on the final fantasy 7 remake that that was the tweet translated uh, as of today yesterday at the time of recording uh that tweet had 12 likes and 117 retweets i viral banger tweet for the time and a couple days late <laughs> a couple days later on march 5th at 7 18 in the morning so demons were clearly purged by from square in that two-day window uh, they thanked everyone for their feedback and asked, what does Final Fantasy VIII mean to you? Um, tweet got a lot less traction, as you can imagine. Only had 14 retweets and 6 likes, unfortunately. But it did have a quote retweet. And it did have a comment, which read, I want a remake of Eight, even just a dub or a movie. So, I mean, stirring the, <laughs> stirring the, little bit, stirring the Twitter pot a little bit here. Um, undoubtedly... I had to add that to the timeline. Like I found it yesterday in my last preparations. I'm like, I, I have to add this. So, yeah, 3.17 in the morning, Square Enix is firing off tweets. <laughs> what are your thoughts on Final Fantasy VII Remake? Just incredible, incredible stuff. Staying in 2010, staying the same month, actually, uh, March 22nd, 2010, Yoshi Wada, then CEO of Square Enix, said that the possibility of a remake would be explored depending on the when and the where pertaining to the time frame and the console. At the time, that would have been the PlayStation 3, I'm pretty confident. Yeah, definitely PlayStation 3. Uh, In May later that year, he also said the project would take longer than anticipated. However, it would not be ruled out just because of the interest it drew from fans and how heavily requested it had been. Now we're, what, 13 years since Final Fantasy VII came out. Two consoles and a lot more technology. So now, like, I would say, okay, now if you wanted this, you can start asking for it. Not (laughs) eight years after like that that's insanity to me but again shout out last of us uh in may of 2012 nomura comes out and says creating new final fantasy experiences takes priority over remaking old ones to surpass people's expectations of what games could be i think that's that's ff 
that's got to be FF13 right there. Um, 2012, I don't know. Off top, I don't know. I'm not very well versed in Final Fantasy as a whole, as I am in like 7, but that's FF13. So I think that was a three-parter, which we'll get to that in the timeline today. But regardless, a remake of 7 is nowhere to be seen, nowhere on the horizon. Uh, a Glimpse of Hope is given in February of 2014, so the timeline's a little bit stretched out at this point. February 2014, Katase comes out and says he would love to do a remake of Final Fantasy VII, but only if the budget was in place and if his motivation would allow him to. But just the thought of a remake being on the developers' minds, Katase especially, because he's the one who was, he's the one who wrote On the Way to a Smile. Like, he is heavily invested in like expanding the lore here. So the fact that he's thinking about it is a good sign. A really good sign. What was not a good sign was E3 2014 when <laughs> I think a lot of hope for people painfully... I think a lot of hope for um, Final Fantasy VII Remake uh, painfully died here. Square gets up and speculation had been brewing and swirling for a little bit now that a remake could be announced. Like I'm not sure if it was expected, but it could be because there were a couple like two B- TBAs like right in the Final Fantasy windows for E3 of 2014 this year. Um... Something remake, people thought, only for it not to be, very much not. Um, a mobile game called Final Fantasy Ajito was revealed, and just nothing on FF7 was related. I watched Maximilian Dude's reaction last night. His heart, like, just, he died. Like, he just died in his chair when this was announced. Uh, this game banged, though, because servers for Ajito were shut down in November of the next year. <laughs> November of 2015, this game is just dead. Uh, a tough scene all the way around for everyone involved literally no winners out of e3 2014 when it came to square and final fantasy 7 jumping ahead one calendar year june 15th 2015 the holy light is shined in california and overtop the square enix uh press release after literal years of speculation and begging not only did jeb bush announce he was going to run for president on this day but maybe more importantly, Final Fantasy VII Remake was officially announced. We all saw, at the time, the most popular E3 release trailer video ever. That someday we would see them again. Perhaps it was no more than wishful thinking. But after the long calm, there are now the beginnings of a stir. The reunion at hand may bring joy, it may bring fear, but let us embrace whatever it brings. For they are coming back. At last, the promise has been made. Um, lead producer Yoshinori Katase, scenario, Kazushigi Nojima, director Tetsuya Nomura, play it first on PS4, the whole nine yards. Uh, I, like I said, the trailer was unreal and was telling you a lot of things at the time with hindsight, but we're not going to get into it today. That's a next episode topic because I think talking about that 2015 E3 trailer and the intro cinematics of Remake I think talking about those together, it's going to just connect a lot more dots and make a lot more sense as to what's going on in that game. That game specifically, and like what they were trying to tell you way back when and what they eventually told you in the game. Regardless, 
most viewed video at E3 by 2015 standards and just like went viral. Essentially people were freaking out. You can see it say on YouTube, just over the moon, happy about this. Um, also on June 15, 2015, another monumental and important development in the timeline. Tetsuya Nomura found out he was directing. He, <laughs> he even found out, or he even called Katase and asking why the announcement said he was directing. So the same day we all found out Nomura was directing was also the same day he found out. So truly, truly one of the rare times in gaming history you can say you were in lockstep with the developer because we were all right there. Maybe more excited than him, though about the game. Not sure. Still to be determined. Now that we know this exists, we can now get into it's it, nowhere to go but down from here, let's be honest. Um, however, another sign of good news. Uh, the scenario for the first part of Remake was completed in December of 2015, apparently, which is kind of shocking. I thought for sure it would be a lot later due to developments that happened later in the timeline, but uh, Gimetsu, Gimatsu, I think it is, Gimatsu, one of the two, writes on December 15th that maybe the game isn't too far from release. Shout out, old takes exposed. In 2016, Nomura was asked in an interview if you could still be surprised, even if you know the whole story of FF7 original, to which he replied, quote, definitely. Again, hinting that this is not your dad's FF7. And after this, game goes radio silent until about 2017 when Square had posted job offerings on their site for development of Final Fantasy VII Remake and shifted completely in-house led by Business Division 1, the internal development team for Square versus partnering with CyberConnect 2. Gives me heavy Metroid Prime 4 vibes when they're literally hiring, like when they said they were making the game, so not a great sign. It had been known that CyberConnect 2 and Square had different styles of development, however, CyberConnect 2 worked pretty quickly, so that's mainly why they hung on together, but after a little bit, Square decided to pull the plug and go in-house development, and that led to the question of, is this going to be a remaster or a multi-part remake? And they came to the conclusion that with the scope of what they wanted to achieve, it was too much for one disc, much like the original game. In case you forgot, the original game is three discs as well. Not released, it was released all at the same time, but they are three separate discs. Um, they decided to model it after FF13, which I said earlier, and release it in multiple parts. Obviously, remake being part one, rebirth now being part two, and obviously part three is TBD. Um, Midgar was always going to be the setting of the original game to ensure that the story had a smooth transition into the second game because Midgar, you know, you still have to flesh it out, obviously, and make it a lot more than the original because it's a six-hour, six to eight-hour experience in the original. Now you need to make it a 40, 50-hour experience. So, obviously needs some expansion, but regardless, Midgar, very good place to end the game. Smooth transition into the grander scope of what Final Fantasy VII Remake and Final Fantasy VII would be. Key art was also shown in 2017, which caused for some concern because there was no real positive news about development. No, like, oh, development's going smoothly, blah, 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 all that, you know, cliche stuff. Not even that was being said. In this window as well, another thing that is not talked about enough, I don't think, is that the entire voice cast got fired and flipped on its head. According to Steve Burton, the original voice of Cloud, he said that Square essentially fired all the original cast from Advent Children in past games and decided to go with a breath of fresh air and new life and give this game a new identity, which personally, and I think the majority of people think the English dub is fantastic. So incredibly good decision there by Square Enix. 2019 May State of Play, Final Fantasy VII Remake makes its long-awaited reappearance in the video game world, including it with a teaser trailer that shows Aerith's in-game design, 
sequences from the bombing run and our first look at Sephiroth in June of that year, so one month later, because I remember the state of play saying, like, tune in for more next month. So in June, a worldwide trailer is released showing off Cloud and Tifa, snippets of the scenario, Sephiroth telling Cloud to hold on to his hatred and just all the good news, all the good vibes in the world. A multi-part release and release date of March 3rd, 2020 were confirmed. We are less than one year out now from Remake being a thing and pe- being something that people can be like, oh my god, I'm actually playing this. However, not this, this also could have been the start of delay season for video games. January 14, 2020, Katase stated that the game would be delayed from March 3rd to April 10th, but a demo did come out on the original release date, which contained all of Chapter 1. Plenty of material there for you to enjoy. And finally, at long last, April 10th, 2020, Final Fantasy VII Remake is released worldwide. We are here. We have made it. Final Fantasy VII Remake score is an 87 out of 100 on Metacritic by critics and 8.1 out of 10 from users. The game was nominated for over 200 awards, including Game of the Year in 2020, which went to Elden Ring somehow, so shout out Elden Ring. The score for the game, done by the legendary Nobuo Uematsu, was praised and sweeped a lot of the awards for music categories. Critiques stem from the pacing at times and the narrative, specifically the ending, but consensus, incredible game, incredible remake, very good, worth the trip. Can't confirm that much. And we're going to close out the timeline here with February 2021. Final Fantasy VII Remake Integrate is announced for the PS5, which includes an expansion story featuring Yuffie, synopsis, play as Wutai Ninja Yuffie Kisaragi as she infiltrates Midgar and conspires with Avalanche HQ to steal the ultimate materia from the Shinder Electric Power Company. Integrate released worldwide on June 10th in that year. And no, haven't played that yet, but... Looking forward to getting around to it after my hard mode run of FF7R. Forgot to do this when I introduced Final Fantasy VII Remake after it officially came out, so I'll do it quickly here. Synopsis. The world has fallen under the control of the Shinra Electric Power Company, a shadowy corporation controlling the plant's very life force as Mako Energy. In the sprawling city of Midgar, an anti-Shinra organization calling themselves Avalanche has stepped from up their resistance. Have stepped up their resistance. Cloud Strife, a former member of Shinra Elite Soldier, now turned mercenary, lends his aid to the group, unaware of the epic consequences that await him. Just had to be consistent and read off the synopsis of this game as well. Just, you know, stay in line. Keep the timeline honest. With all of that said and done, I think we have a pretty good foundation for what's to come. And what's to come is next episode, we'll be going over chapters 1 and 2 of Remake, The Destruction of Mako Reactor 1 and Fateful Encounters, starting with the opening cinematics all the way to the arrival of the Sector 7 slums. Very excited to get into it. It was in, kind of in the zone this episode, was very feeling the vibe, so I have a pretty good feeling this is going to be successful and a fun endeavor so 
If you could ever be so gracious, check out the description below to provide feedback and let me know what you think of the episode. This is going to be different from normal Switched Up episodes. Those are still going to be more frequent than this. These will be pretty spaced out. So, But again, this is our first, my first ever time doing a docuseries with Tyler's Blessing. He'll be helping out behind the scenes as well. So I uh, would just love to get your guys' thoughts on it. Please use the descriptions below to do so. Leave ratings, reviews, all that good stuff. And yeah, next episode, we are going to get into some theory crafting, go over some of the best intros in any video games I've ever played. So thank you so much for tuning in. I really do appreciate it. And let's mosey. Get down here, Merc. <laughs>